Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. This episode features Chris Hexton, the co-founder of Vero. Send emails based on what your customers do. Hey, Chris, thanks for being on the show with us today. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's uh, learn a little bit more about you. Uh, where are you from? What did you study? And, and how did your passion in entrepreneurship uh, really develop? Yeah, good question. I am from Sydney, Australia. So uh, still live here now. I've lived here most of my life and actually studied accounting and finance. So business degree here in Sydney, uh, UTS. And I think uh, it's a good question. Where did where did the passion come from? Or why did I why did I not stick with that that career path? I um, I don't know. I think it, I just always felt like I needed to do my own thing. I think I can remember now thinking that when I was 16, 17, something like that. And it took a, it took a while for me to have the guts to, to do it. But it's definitely something that I always just felt I would have to try at some point. So I don't know. It was almost an innate, innate thing. It's not necessarily like my, my parents have their own businesses or anything like that. Um, I just always had this feeling. Awesome. Yeah, I can I can definitely relate to, to just having that feeling. But uh, so so you said you come from a, a financial kind of background, um, having worked at Prince Waterhouse Coopers. Um, how did you actually transition from such a big firm into you know the world of small startups? Yeah, with a with a lot of uh, trial and error, and <laughs> we we so I, so I worked there whilst I was studying so full time. So I worked there for sort of probably about three years, I think, in total. And it was the end of the third year that I decided to leave. And the transition was definitely, you know, a, a really hard one. So I, my current business partner or co-founder, we both had jobs at the time and we, we've known each other for a long, long time. And we both had this, this feeling that we should try something else. So we, we left our jobs and I think we thought we'd be able to create something overnight that was a, was a real hit. You know, the next Facebook is everyone, everyone thinks. And it was pretty clear after a couple of months that that, you know, that wasn't going to be the case. We didn't have any brilliant ideas or, or apps people wanted to use. So we started something a lot more practical. Um, we could both code. So we started building websites for other people, grew that into a, a consultancy where it was mostly just the two of us. We subcontracted where we needed to. And that was going quite well. I, you know, I think that taught us a ton about running your own business, You know, about how to talk to people, how to get customers, how to do a good job how to manage expectations, all those sort of things that are really important. And uh, from there, we got into an incubator at the start of 2012 based here in Sydney. It's called Startmate, very similar to, it's probably sim more similar to 500 startups than Y Combinator. And that went for three months, took us over to San Fran, and we ended up living in San Fran for about four months. And that, that's where, you know, in June of that year is where we started Vero, which we've been working on for the last two and a bit years. So definitely... You know, ups and downs, but I think I think you, the the consultancy really was 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 what uh, taught us the skills 
many of those basic skills that have been really helpful ever since. So you know, starting one step at a time makes a lot of sense, I think. So you mentioned that you guys joined uh, an accelerator. Um, how did you guys get in and, and what were some of the things that, that you went through in terms of developing the product in that accelerator? Yeah, so we got in. We did not expect to get in. We just sort of applied last minute. We thought we've been building software for other people, e-commerce stores for other people. You know, this accelerator in, in particular likes working with tech, technical co-founders, people who can move quickly, which makes a lot of sense. They also like people who want to build products that can that, that can scale, so, you know, not products that require enterprise sales, those sort of things. And we just applied. We applied actually with a product called uh, an invoice application so it was sort of a competitor to FreshBooks or Harvest which most people know mm-hmm. and it was just a little software package we built for our own consulting agency really uh, mostly because I had an accounting background and wanted to practice uh, my coding skills in, in Rails at the time so we built this thing threw it together we were the only ones using it um, so we applied with that and we got in so we actually worked on that product for the for the three months and, and uh, the, of the accelerator and I think we obviously learn a ton because we're not still working on that product. But the main thing we learned, you know, is is that you tried and true, or it's it's obviously something you hear all the time. But you really need to focus on the customers and have customers that are passionate, you know, so so re- really happy and interested in using the product. We had some customers for that invoicing application. It's obviously solving a useful problem. It's not a fatal business, but there wasn't enough differentiation for those people to be passionate, to be excited to, to share the product, to use it every day. And that makes it really, really hard to grow at the rate you need to grow if you're going to survive as a as a young software company. So um, that was probably the key thing that we learned. So right now you're working on Vero. What is it and why did you guys choose email? Yeah, so Vero is an email marketing platform and our focus is on behavior. So it allows you to track a ton of data, you know, what pages people are looking at, the various properties, what actions they're taking, and then actually you know, automate campaigns. So things like if a person signs up for my software, doesn't activate, I want to send them an email two days later and another one five days later, those sorts of really practical automated campaigns that, that encourage customers to take the next step in your customer lifecycle. And we, we chose email. That's a good question. I think when we started, we email was the only thing on our minds. So I'm not sure if your question comes from the angle of there's there's lots of marketing channels, right? There's display, there's push, there's SMS, lots and lots of things, lots lots of outputs you could have once you're tracking behavior. And for us, email had been something we'd had a lot of experience with ourselves. And also when we built software for other people, uh, when we were consulting, it was very common that they wanted... um, email built in. They wanted automated emails built into whatever product we were building. And they wanted, you know, they generally wanted these built in such a way that they could edit the emails via CMS or something like that. And we just thought it's crazy uh, that people are getting us to, they're paying us as consultants to build this thing over and over. Surely there should be a product that that can help them manage these automated emails. So Mm -hmm. I don't think we thought too much about why email was just the thing that we had experienced in the, you know, out in the wild, the actual pain that we'd experienced um, with with other customers, and that's where we where we began. That's great. So, how did how did you guys build the first version of the application, and what was the process that you guys took to get your first customer? Yeah, so having come out of that accelerator and 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 giving up on on one product already, uh, we we were very very 
serious about making sure we focused on the customers first. So we started really with with talking to as many people as we could, you know, ex-people, ex-consulting customers, people we knew through the accelerator, uh, friends we'd made, people around us in San Francisco at the time, and just uh, asking anyone who we thought was a fit, you know, would you use this product if it did X, Y, Z? Um, we did that via, you know, phone most of the time in person where we could. We, we started to get a, a group of people who said, yeah, you know, if it, if it does those things, count me in. Sorry. So if it does those things, count me in. And so that was really reassuring. So the next step was obviously how many of these people are going to put their money where their mouth is. And that, that's a lot harder. I think that one of the things we found was that, you know, lean startup uh, is an interesting thing. So we, we basically got this group of people, you know, I think it was five or six people to say, yeah, we'll, we'll pay you 50 bucks a month but it needs to do X and you know, we need you to start actually doing X in order for us to give you the $50. So we felt that was about as close as you could get to someone actually saying, we'll pay you. Uh, so we built a really, really crappy version of the product that you know, had a lot of manual elements, things we were doing uh, that really just allowed, it, allowed you to you know, track an action on your website with JavaScript and then automate an email off the back of that. That's all it really allowed you to do. Mm-hmm. And that was enough to, to get people actually using it. Um, it wasn't enough to get people paying, but once we added one or two other things, uh, so when we got our first paying customers, I think it took us about eight weeks, maybe just under, to get our first paying customer. Um, you know, and, and and funnily enough, I don't think any of those original six were the first paying customer, but they told others about it, and uh, we'd done some marketing by then, so so we were we were pretty happy to to start getting people rolling through the door that way. Well, that's great. So, so start to first paying customer in eight weeks. That's really good. So, Vero was mainly bootstrapped. So, how did you guys manage to do this, and what's the status today? Yeah. So, we we obviously uh, the accelerator gave gave us a small amount of money. James and I invested our own profits from the consulting agency we had before. Not, not that, that was a lot of money or anything, but you know, basically just used every resource we had uh, to to get started. And I think that. When we started, we were bootstrapping out of you know, almost out of pig-headedness. I would say, you know, just this burning, burning desire to prove that you you don't need to raise money to be successful. Our attitude on that has changed a lot. I think I think once you actually get some business sense, you need to do whatever makes the most sense uh, for you to achieve your goals, which might be raising money. Mm-hmm. For us, we haven't raised, uh, you know, haven't raised around um, yet, and we are, you know. But we are much more open-minded to it, so no, no direct plans yet. But we'll see what happens. I think that the reason we have been able to bootstrap is, you know, we we started when we were 23. You know, we didn't have mortgages or much to tie us down. Um, we were both coders, so very agile in that sense. Uh, we had we had a lot of things that worked in favor of us being able to do a lot with very little, and. And I think you know those those are definitely circumstantial. So there's a bit of luck in those things, uh, but the other thing was just this this desire to try and do it and to be really really scrappy. You know, like you know, I, remember, I remember sharing a room with James where we were living. Uh, you know, we worked in in the living room of this flat that we were in in San Fran. So lots and you know lots and lots of little things like that that uh, looking back seem like much bigger sacrifices than they really were, just because we were passionate about what we were doing and wanted to try and make it work so we gave it uh, gave it the best shot we could 
So how did you guys manage to hack the initial growth or just the growth in general for Vero? Yeah, so what, what we basically did that, you know, perhaps seems a lot more considered <laughs> now is that you know, for us, the blog and content has always been our main source of customers. And it's where we got our first paying customers from as well. But it wasn't that considered. It was basically the thought process was essentially we don't have any money. We need to get some customers. What are the different channels we could use? Not really very much. Content's free or you know, it takes a lot of time. We had plenty of time. Um, so let's try writing some, some articles and see if we can get some people to share these around. And we wrote the first article. I think we wrote two, but the, the second one was the one that really got us those first paying customers. It got us about 500 trial signups, which was a lot in, you know, when you're only a month old. Mm-hmm. So we basically thought to ourselves, well, what could we write about? What, what we should write about, if, if, if anything, is, is sort of, if you will, a manifesto or you know, why have we decided to build this product? What excites us about it? So we wrote this post, um, which was titled, uh, Creating the Mix Panel for Email or something like that, which if you haven't heard of Mix Panel, is going to mean nothing. But we're basically saying, you know, why we had observed this trend in the analytics space where people were now getting a lot more granular with the events they could track and therefore getting much more granular with the analytics they could produce. That's, that's why companies like Mixpanel and Kissmetrics are awesome. And we sort of said, well, obvious, you know, it seems obvious that email should be heading in that direction. You shouldn't just have big, boring, static lists. You should be able to capture a lot more data and therefore send a lot more granular marketing emails. So we wrote this, this post and had some interesting diagrams that we'd created from scratch and by having a title uh, like that, we thought we'd post it on Hacker News, um, which which is obviously, well, for us, you know, a really engaged community with people in there who, who could actually use our software and Mixpanel was an XY Combinator company, so I think the, the title was uh, attractive for people to click on in that audience and then we had actually written something really uh, we now know anyway, based on the feedback, really genuine. So people actually proceeded through, read the article, were impressed and shared it around. So that was, it was a really, you know, we, we, we spent, I would say, a good two days writing that article. We had a ton of people edit it. We cut a lot of shit out. Uh, we spent a lot of time, you know, focusing on, on original content, you know, original, there's this original Venn diagram in that post that uh, has been reused around the place. And, and so, so that combination of, you know, being original, getting lots of advice to make sure it was a really solid article and uh, posting it to an audience that would understand really, really got the, uh, let the floodgates open. So it's interesting that you guys decided to start with, with the blog uh, as, as a primary marketing channel. I've got some more questions for you on that uh, later on, but now you guys have, have essentially gone from zero to about 43,000 visitors a month just on the blog. Um, and, and so how did, you, how did you grow it? Was it all through what you, what you guys call epic content or um, was it you know, just submitting it to the right places, like for example, that post in Y Combinator? Yeah, the, uh, the initial sort of, so the initial six months of the blog were very sporadic. And they were basically, you know, oh shit, we need some more signups. Where can we get, get get written up or whatever? And we use Hacker News a fair bit there. There, uh, Reddit was a source as well. Guest posts um, started to produce results. So the first six months, we didn't have any real pattern. It was the year after that, which was basically all of 2013, uh, when I was the the only one writing the blog, that things really started to grow, at least consistently, although slowly. 
And yeah, during that year, the things that worked the best were definitely guest posts and um, really original content from our side. So, you know, trying to write really in-depth articles that were really long, mm-hmm. um, trying to take a different angle on something where people hadn't before. <clears throat> Those are the two things that worked because guest posts obviously got us fresh eyeballs from much larger audiences. It also uh, allowed us to start to build relationships with bloggers that we could help and they could help us. And uh, that's been really, really great because we, you know, I like to think we've, we've really given back to some of those guys now and uh, it's become a real friendship. And obviously writing original original posts, um, yeah, people, people genuinely then start to see the value in what they're reading and that's how you get subscribers in my opinion. So those are the two things that worked. This year, um, so Jimmy, Jimmy and I now work on the blog. Jimmy takes a lead on all of it. So he, he started uh, at the start of this year and things have grown you know, at, a, at a much more ridiculous pace since, uh, since February this year. And I think what's worked really well for us this year are these sort of epic posts where um, we really, really started to say, well, if we believe that people sign up or subscribe because what you've written is, is so genuine and so insightful or has a new angle or someone hasn't seen it before, then, then why not spend less time uh, writing shorter uh, posts and, and take our time to think of a concept, present it differently, uh, really, really get into it. And we've done three of those this year, um, you know, and, and they're going really, really good. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, they'll, they'll get 10, 20, 30 times the traffic to a normal, normal blog post and then, you know, be great for SEO ongoing as well. So we're still perfecting the art, but I think it's uh, something that we think will get us the next wave of growth in terms of the blog. Cool. And so you've you've actually written a bunch about customer retention, um, you know, specifically for ideally, I guess, who would become your your customers to teach them how to retain their customers. Um, but it's working really, really well for you guys as well. So what's at the foundation of of customer retention? Yeah, I think the there's a, there's a few things. You know, lifecycle emails is important, and and that's what our product does. So, I, you know, I definitely we're definitely strong believers in that. We use it ourselves. We love thing when people have success in that case uh, in those cases I think the you know there's obviously many other elements as well you've got to have a product that, that's actually solving a problem and you've got to have a product that allows people to re-engage and I think this is something we can something we're working on now and something we could do better ourselves um, but you know the I think the products that have the best customer attention just if you look out there in the world of products where you can't really escape from it so something like github you know, if I'm a coder, I am going to use GitHub 20, 30 times a day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and that, that sort of engagement is, is, is really hard to leave from that. Um, in, this is, you know, my opinion. Something like Drop, Dropbox uh, can be quite hard to, to leave as well if you use all of its features like it's public and the link sharing. And once you've got everything shared across your team, you know, you'll use it again and again in a day. And, and so it's hard to leave. You know, it might be easy to copy your files to another folder, but it's not hard to recreate the rest of that ecosystem. And, and so we're, you know, we're, we're trying to do that, and I, and I think that's, that's the first challenge, and that's quite an existential challenge for a startup. Um, but in terms, of, in terms of things you can do, regardless of where you're at, you know, email, uh, you know, I often say it's just a case of reminding people that you exist uh, and why they should come back and check out the product. So, you know, we, you know, logical points for us, for example, would be sending emails to people when they haven't logged in for a while or if they haven't created a new campaign for a while, 
you know, if they haven't taken an action that we know represents someone is engaged with the product, that's when we try and reach out, um, start a conversation, get them to you know, talk support or log back in, whatever it may be. And, uh, and, I, and I think that's all it is really, just trying to keep people, people coming back and using your product and, and getting more and more value out of it. And so do you think other startups have a, have a problem or, or a slight hesitation kind of identifying these key engagement points and then sending an email or reaching back out to people? Is that something that you guys are trying to change too? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, I definitely think it's, it's not the first thing people, people work on. Um, so there can be a bit of a blind spot. I think that it's hard to, you know, what, what, where we think we can help is just educating people with, with more and more case studies as we get more and more data from, from ourselves in a B2B SaaS sense, but also from other customers that are, uh, you know, are happy to share. And, and that way, in that way, you know, we can, we can help other startups realize that this stuff works and that they should be focusing on it and, uh, and give them actual tools to do it. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to say, oh, you should do this, but it's uh, much harder to put into practice. So we're always trying to come up with practical, practical examples for the blog so that people can almost copy paste, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, so what are some of those practical examples? Do you guys have any like uh, you know world-renowned tips uh, for writing better emails or reaching out? Yeah, I think the the, the big the biggest part is writing copy. So, all you can really do all we can really do there is share as many examples as we can. You know, copy from people talking to consumers, copy from people talking to business customers, um, software, gaming, travel. All these different industries are going to have totally different tones. So, that's a bit harder to recap. But mm-hmm. you know, I think. Uh, for, for us, you know, th- things that, two things that we like at the moment are sort of what I would call notification emails. Um, and so these aren't, you know, directly saying anything like, oh, hey, come back and, and check out Vera, but more saying, uh, you know, the equivalent for us would be an email that, that goes out once a week and says, hey, customer, you know, here's your stats for the week. Look, you converted an extra 50 people. Uh, you made an extra 100 bucks or you know, $100,000, whatever it may be. Um, here is a campaign idea in your space that you might not have seen. So an email that sort of gives them, uh, shows them the value of using your product and reminds them that there's that value there and gives them a tip on, on how they can use the product again. So that, that's an email that we think is, can be really, really good for B2B stuff at yeah, the moment. Absolutely. Uh, keeps, keeps your product front of mind um, and obviously shows them that there's real value, which is why people keep paying for things. Um, so I would definitely, if, if you can build something like that into your product, then I think that's a winner. Um, second thing would be, you know, the, and this is, this is not necessarily rocket science, but you know, automated emails around when, when people look like they're dropping off in terms of engagement. So you know, if they haven't logged in for a certain period or if they haven't created a campaign for a certain period, you've got to be careful with these sort of emails because they're a lot more direct, like a lot more like, hey, is there something up? Can I help? That's the style that we use, very short personal email no fancy pictures or anything. Uh, you know, there's classic things like they might be on holidays, um, you know, they, they might be on, uh, on some sort of work conference. There might be a reason they haven't logged in. Um, so you've got to play with your timings and ideally adjust it um, based on different customer groups. But if you can get it right, those sort of emails are obviously, obviously going to start good conversations. Uh, in our case, we always send those sorts of emails from an address that when they hit reply comes to the support desk so that we can actually talk to them as real people as well mm-hmm. and uh, and follow up. Those would be two things that I think everyone can uh, can do, at least in a software sense. That's some, that's some great feedback. Um, 
or sorry, I should say tips. Uh, so how difficult it is, is it to build a startup in Sydney and what are some of the challenges that you had to overcome? Yeah, I think it is, well, it's an interesting question. Would I say that it's difficult or not? Uh, I would say that it's difficult to build a startup anywhere. So, so from that perspective, it's, uh, it's, it's been a challenge. I think there, there are some goods and bads. So obviously one of the bad things is you perhaps have less people readily available who are, you know, those three, six, twelve, you know, three years ahead of you where you can get, get really practical advice on what to do next. You've got to seek those sort of people out. There's not that many uh, success, wildly successful startups in Australia. On the flip side, you, you're a bit more isolated so you're not in the echo chamber uh, that you might be in if, if, if you're in, I'm going to say, San Francisco, uh, having lived there myself. Um, you know, I think that it can be easy to get sidetracked with raising money, it can be easy to get sidetracked with, uh, you know, maybe printing swag, it can be easy to get sidetracked with a whole range of things that aren't talking to customers and building a great product. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think that by having less, it's a growing ecosystem here, but it's obviously far, far smaller than, than San Fran or New York or London. It's, uh, it can be really good because it forces you to hold up. And if, as long as you're passionate and you believe you can do it, then uh, you've got no choice except to, to do it because there's nothing else to focus on. Um, less events, that sort of thing. And that's definitely changing and changing for the better here. Um, so we're starting to get, get more of the, you know, the, the, the older, wiser startups sharing their knowledge, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, definitely, uh, definitely challenging, but there's also things that I think help. So you've, you've got to focus on those. So what's something that you wish you had known when you first started uh, Vero? Hmm. What is something that we wish we had known? I think uh, wish we'd known how big a scaling challenge it is to send uh, to send this many emails per month and uh, help customers process you know tens of thousands of events per minute or per second. I'm not I have absolutely no idea what we're up to. James would be the man to ask, but you know it's uh, it's a really technical product. Um, I say I wish we'd known it. I, I, I probably don't mean that because if we'd known, we, we probably would never have begun. But the you know the, the technical challenges at the very least keep everyone really motivated and really interested, which I don't think would necessarily be the case with a simpler product. So that's a double-edged sword, mm -hmm. but definitely something that uh, we've we've learned a lot more about, you know, than when we started. And and do you, you either personally or or collectively as a team, do you guys have like a really funny or unbelievable story um, that that very few people would know about? Yeah, I mean, this is that's a tough question. That one. Uh, <laughs> You know, I don't think uh, I can't think of anything absolutely, absolutely hilarious at this point. Um, you know, all, all all that unbelievable. I mean, you know, the the last two years have been just a, a crap load of hard work. So uh, most days have just been heads down in the office for a long time. Um, so that's a disappointing answer, isn't it? No, but, no, it's uh, all right. That, that must mean that they're 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 lying they're lying ahead in the future. So you'll have to uh, update us when when something crazy happens. Yeah, but you know, also reflective. That's you know, I think that's what it takes to get started. So, uh, you know, lots of hard work. Absolutely. You probably get asked uh, variations of the, of this a bunch since Product Hunt had started. But what, what's some of your favorite tools, apps, and books um, that you're obs obsessed with right now? Yeah, good, good one. I think. Uh, well, Trello is something we've been using for a while, but I'm I'm uh, really loving. Like I think we're all loving as a team. It. What we've done is uh, changed the way we use it. So we used to have a ton of boards. Everyone managed their own board, all this sort of stuff. Now we've just got one board. 
Uh, everyone has a little list in that board, and we literally sit down at the start of the week, um, and, and everyone reflects on it daily. But the stuff on your board should be done within this week. So it's sort of you know our own version of Agile, I guess. But you know, there should be nothing on the board that you're not working on or that's not front of mind. Um, and that way everyone can see exactly what everyone else is doing. And it also forces you to ignore stupid shit. So, you know, we are big believers in if something is a real a real issue, customers will bring it up again and again and you can add it at the, to the board this week. You don't have to have uh, a board with a thousand things on there because you will remember the important things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the non-important things can, uh, can vanish because they're not that important. Um, so that's something I've been really, really loving. Um, I am going to say I use a crappy old school Nokia. And uh, I love that because I don't get emails when I don't want to, so I can be much more focused. So it doesn't get emails at all. That's a phone. That's my <laughs> phone. Um, and I've been doing that for like a year, and I highly recommend it. Um, what else are we obsessed with in terms of apps or in terms of books? That's good. That's good. I mean, I uh, last read the, the Jobs biography. I thought that was really good. Um, going to read The Hard Thing About Hard Things next. I've heard many good things about that. So that's uh, I think that's the Andreessen Horowitz book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then other apps, other apps. I don't know. We keep we keep it pretty lean. Like uh, most people work out of Trello. You know, we use GitHub for for our sort of workflows. I've been using PipeDrive a lot for uh, yeah, sort of segmenting out larger customers. You know, when, when customers sign up, we ask them some questions. If they look like they uh, have larger subscriber lists, we'll, we'll put them in PipeDrive so we can actually follow up manually. Um, as you know, as having some of our own automated emails via Bureau, but th- yeah, those sort of customers have responded really well to having um, their hands held a bit more, and that's been really great for our average revenue per user. So, big fan of PipeDrive and, and that process uh, as well. So that that's definitely something that's made a difference, and I would recommend doing. You know, if you can get a sense of the, the different sorts of customers signing up, and and you've got customers that have a high enough LTV to to spend time on personally then uh, definitely do that because you'll see a huge difference in the bottom line. Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. Pipe drives a, a, is a great tool, especially for doing that kind of segmentation and stuff like that. Absolutely. No, so uh, I don't know. Those are probably the key things that I use day-to-day that I would say I'm obsessed with and that you know, are really good for us. Cool. All right. Well, we appreciate uh, your time and having you on the show today, Chris. No worries. Thanks again for having me. It's been awesome. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.